Hello and welcome to the Recovery Matters Podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine. Philip. I don't know if you realize this, but there is a habit in our relationship for you to suggest something to me and to me immediately having a resistance to it. Really? Yes. So about a year and a half ago, you told me that I had to go to the storytelling workshop at CCAR. I had to meet this phenomenal woman, master storyteller, actor, and... So I didn't go because that's my normal reaction to when you push me to do something. Yeah, but I don't um, remember ever telling you you had to do something. I might suggest strongly, but I don't ever remember saying you must or you have to. So you pouted. It's all all about how you hear it. You pouted for three days. And then I went six months later. Only three. I did go six months later in my own time when I was ready to go. And when I saw that your stories got better in their delivery, and I have my own chance to meet our guest today, Megan Perry. Well, yeah, I've told a lot of stories, wouldn't you say? Yes. Over like how many years have I told stories? Same story, hundreds and hundreds of times. That's not true either, but you always, you're prone to hyperbole and exaggeration, but I do tell a lot of stories. And I think that's One of the reasons CCAR has been successful because we frame a lot of our recovery experience in stories. And so then when Megan came and I met Megan and she was talking about uh, storytelling, oh my gosh. And then I heard her story. Megan, say say hello, introduce yourself. Hello, I am Megan Perry. Um, I'm a recovery coach and a storyteller and a teaching artist and I've used theater and storytelling to help tell the stories of um, people whose stories aren't always heard and to make them more um, listenable, relatable and hearable and it's been the passion and now that's what I do full time. Which is amazing. This is the first time we've ever done this one, this podcast via zoom and so it's it's kind of cool don't you think technology it is cool so megan can be sitting in her cozy corner outside of boston massachusetts and we're sitting mm-hmm. in hartford connecticut in the media suite that we like to say uh, so megan tell us what it was like what happened and what it's like now no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. but you know well, i do know some of your story but i'm Let's kind of start way back. What was it like as a child for you growing up? Um, you know, uh, I grew up in a family who had um, some challenges, mental health and, and substance use. And um, I had a lot of beautiful privileges and, and, you know, good education. I got to do every sport in the world and ride horses and all of that. Um, but I didn't really learn how to cope with feelings or um, adversity or failure. And so, uh, yeah, but I was really into art, the arts. That was a big 
thread that carried me through a lot, um, particularly theater. So um, I couldn't get wait, wait to get out of my house. So I graduated from high school in three years just so I could like go to college and go away. Um, and I really got invested in theater, but I also got really invested in, in drug use. And um, that was the prevailing theme and challenge of my life from about 16 years old um, until I finally was, was able to establish long-term recovery. Um, and so I'll be celebrating nine years on the same day as Phil is celebrating. How many? I'm 33. 33. It'll be Larry Bird. <laughs> I love Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so uh, same birthday. Um, but yeah, it's been an amazing ride. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of struggle. But I also had a lot of blessings that it, it took me years to, to go back and look at that and realize how blessed I was the whole way along. So it's interesting when you talk about growing up and not really learning how to handle emotions and process all of that. Did you find that your attraction to the, to acting and performing, like you were able to put yourself into somebody else's emotions? Was there any connection with that? Yeah, it's funny. I never, I wasn't really drawn to being on stage so much as helping to create magic. You know, I loved to, um, I loved like deep character stuff where people were working through big challenges and big emotions. And I do think that that, uh, you know, even in, in high school was um, a way of me dealing with what was going on with myself. You know, I had a dream um, in college. What I wanted to do um, was use theater as a way to help young people who were struggling but what I realized when I, when I graduated, I was a young person struggling. So, mm -hmm. you know, I had um, come close to suicide uh, during college and had to, you know, um, transfer to a different school. And I ended up in the inner city in Boston going to um, a theater school. And by the time I graduated, I was, I was already, you know, addicted to heroin. Um, so when I graduated with that theater education degree and that dream, the dream was dead. That dream was long gone. I was just trying to survive. And I went into my first um, detox within a few weeks of graduating from college. Um, but it wasn't for another, I think it's how many, 16 years or something before I, before I actually got long-term recovery. So there's a lot happened in that 16 years, but none of it had anything to do with theater or healthy <laughs> emotion processing or anything. I was fascinated by your comment about wanting to help young people mm -hmm. and being one yourself that was struggling. And to me, that goes to what Art Woodard taught me. I heard it first from him that you teach best what you most need to learn. And you already had an idea about that at a very young age. So are, are you teaching that today? Absolutely. That's what's so cool. <laughs> I love young people. I love teenagers and adolescents and young adults. Um, they're my favorite um, sort of group of people to work with. Um, I think they have something really special, which is that they haven't fully formed their box yet that they mm -hmm. live in, right? They still have open walls to, to grow out, you know, into new and different things. And they have really 
amazing ideas. And um, I don't think we spend enough time helping young people process emotional things and challenges and that I think we, we ask a, a lot of them. Um, and I think that many, uh, you know, the systems that they're in don't allow for emotional growth. And, um, and so I just love, I love coming into a space with teens and young adults and just giving them alternate way, alternative ways to express themselves and, and a place where it's okay to do that. Um, and I think it's, it's really powerful, really powerful work. And then I get to bring in the recovery coaching with it too, you know, as a, you know, a recovery coach professional and, and, you know, with all of the training and learning I've done and, and being a coach for six years, I get to bring that element into it of, of the asking good questions. I'm not here to teach you something. I'm, I'm here to explore with you um, new things. And that's part of the magic. I mean, that goes for adults as well. Anybody can step into that sort of magical space where um, you can just see what it's like to, to be a different version of you. It's not even about being someone else, um, especially in storytelling. We have many, many selves. And so it's just a really fascinating and, and powerful and empowering process to bring, you know, invite people into a space where they can look at their different selves and explore their different selves. Um, and I, and so much of recovery, the art and science of recovery coaching is part of that process. Yeah. You really give us a lot to think about. And I love what you talked about the art and science of recovery coaching when did you first hear about that concept? What does that mean to you? What was that journey like? I had no idea recovery coaches existed. And then I got sort of picked by a, a woman who had a recovery coach team. And she said, I want you to be a recovery coach. And I said, okay, how do I do that? And, um, and someone pointed me to CCAR. So I took uh, the Recovery Coach Academy in um, January of 2015. And it changed me. I mean, it's, it really is the transformative process that everyone says it is, which is why I love, I just love everything about that, um, that process, because um, the layers of like, you're, you know, as a facilitator, you're recovery coaching us into recovery coaching. <laughs> and it's so, you know, it's just so, um, it's so amazing. It just really, really opened my mind. It blew my mind, really. Mm -hmm. And the way that um, you know, I had been in systems of care for so long, um, you know, jails and um, uh, treatment facilities and homeless shelters and, and, you know, mental health facilities and that the idea of being treated as a resource was just so radical to me. Um, and I, I immediately was like, this is what I want to do. I want other people to feel this. Um, and so, yeah, I've been just in love with with re the recovery coaching and the, and the art and the science of it for so long. Um, and I love the idea that the art is mine. Mm. Yeah, the science is yeah. sort of un the universal foundation and then the art's mine. It's right. that creativity again. You know, I think creativity fuels recovery so much. Um, and we when we tap into creativity, it just, we get to just keep growing. And I love that. We facilitated a few recovery coach academies together. Yes. Um, we do talk about the art and the science. And a lot of times people 
throw the what if questions at us. Mm -hmm. Like, what if this happens? And my standard response over the years has become, I don't know. Because we don't know what another person's art is in that situation or how you might respond. And I certainly don't know how I'm going to respond until I'm in the situation. Um, a lot of people like to be properly prepared to prevent poor performance. Like we were just talking about <laughs> Sandy and I before the podcast. Um, do you have any direction you want to take? Or are you just going to fly by the seat of your pants? <laughs> Phil likes to fly by the seat of his pants. I know that comes as a shock to you, Megan, but I like, I like some light preparation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a recovering perfectionist um, who wants everything to be fully prepared and just right. Uh, but both recovery coaching and, um, you know, theater and storytelling in, in the creative world have helped me uh, realize that that's only part of the process and the rest is heart and, and soul and um, spirit. And um, the best prepared I can be is spiritually to be, to be a good coach and to handle situations. The other part of recovery coaching that I found to be incredibly powerful is another P word, it's presence. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we show up where nobody else is just to like an emergency department or in a drug court or um, in homes oftentimes that we go places where people don't wanna go and we're just present. And we offer ourselves as support and uh, discuss the pathways to recovery. So uh, let's get into a little bit about storytelling. And I know some of the, the stories that you've told um, with great impact. Uh, so I know some of your past just through this written story and, and you can go wherever you want with this, but I, when we met with Andrea too, and she introduced me to the concept of the pearls. Talk a little bit about that. And is, is that a common uh, kind of thought when you hear about people talking about stories, they wanna tell their whole story. Mm. And I love the idea of the pearls. So talk about that. Yeah, so, you know, I think in, in some of our more widespread and traditional pathways, you know, we're taught to tell our story, our story, like our single story a certain way. Um, and I found for myself when I did that over and over and over and over, I was very disconnected from it. And I, and, and, and I told my personal mythology, I told the myth that I had taught myself about myself. And that kept me stuck in that myth. And um, when I found, like discovered the five minute format of live storytelling, it was like, I can't do that. I can't tell the whole story. I have to find another way to do it. Um, and so with, you know, I, a lot of learning and, and growing in that art form, um, you know, we came, you know, we have this concept of pearls or um, I sometimes call it uh, like if, you, or if your life was a play, there's scenes and then there's acts and, you know, the smallest piece of that is a scene. So we're just telling one moment um, of my life. And it could be in recovery. It could be as a child, it could be in the middle of the throes of, you know, my active substance use disorder, but within that moment, you can see the whole 
journey. There's a little hint of before, there's a little, you know, after, and, you know, usually the middle is where all the juicy, you know, action is that's very interesting. Um, but it's possible to convey the full arc of who I was before, what changed, and who I am now within one little interesting thing. I have a story about a relationship that spanned eight years that gives you a really great picture of what the before was like and what changed and what the after is like. Um, you know, and I think that that's a really powerful way because we don't need to know everything to, to appreciate what recovery is. We don't have to see the whole journey. We don't know, have to know, you know, how bad things were. You know, there's a story um, uh, from one of the CCAR folks that when we were doing the video project and, you know, he was talking about being in treatment and he had been in treatment many times before. This one was pertinent to the story. And so he's like, wanted to tell all the things that happened before he got to treatment. And I said, you don't have to do that. He says, well, I'm in treatment again. And this is happening. And that's all he had to say. Right. And the, and the people listening are smart enough to understand what that means. This isn't his first try. Okay. So I get it, you know? Um, and I think that's the, that to me is the exciting, beautiful craft part of, um, of storytelling. I think one of the most surprising things for me getting involved with attending the storytelling workshop with you and then bringing you to University of Connecticut to deliver the workshop twice with some of our young adults and allies was the recovery process of the workshop, that it is a pathway of recovery. And you talk about like letting your story kind of call you, I'm probably not using the right words, but, and um, when I went through the workshop, I told a story that I had never acknowledged 30 years ago was really the start of my recovery journey, which was about a year before I actually got sober. And so I really had this kind of awakening thing. And, you know, I just wonder what that's like for you to see this happen all around the virtual room or the in-person room with folks. I can't even describe it. It makes me, you know, almost come to tears it's so beautiful it's so beautiful it's this you know it's so much bigger than me I'm just a steward trying to take good care of this beautiful gift to the the world you know that I you know divine I believe um but it's like we get in this space and um each person in the group is an essential conduit to each other person discovering something new about themselves. And I think that there's something about adding creativity to this discovery, self-discovery process that lets us go different places, places that are, um, you know, cause stories are a foundation of 12 step, you know, step work doing the 12 steps, like um, so many different pathways and, and, and ways that we process things. But when we add that creative element it allows people to be surprised by themselves and, and, um, and therefore find something new about themselves that they didn't know and unwrite some of that mythology and, and come out and see that there's, 
triumphs and, and, and resilience and helpers and, you know, all these beautiful things that you just think, oh, that was that terrible situation. It was, ugh. And then it's like, you get to, to come in and just discover like, no, I was, I was, you know, doing, you know, I, I stepped through with courage in this part or, you know, oh my gosh, I had given a miracle in this part, you know, um, and to see that the faces just light up and the connection in the group and we're all sort of recovery coaching each other, even if we're not all recovery coaches. And it's an incredible space that I always fail in words to convey to people who haven't been in it. Um, but I, I leave the workshops just floating and drained, you know, feeling cathartic, like it was a cathartic process for me. It's beautiful. I love, love, love helping people discover different parts of themselves. The last time we did it on the second night. So we did it in two, two hour sessions. And on the second night, I heard a story that was almost as mundane as I went to the grocery store and bought a gallon of milk. And when it was told for the third time at the end of the two hours, it was just extraordinary Mm -hmm. and the awakening in the person. So I, I think, you know, I could almost imagine it could get a little addictive to constantly lead the workshop so that you can see these metamorphoses in such a brief time, because sometimes recovery takes so long, so hard to see that transformation, but in the workshop, it happens very accelerated. Yeah. And it's really about the heart of the story. Right. And, and I'll, you know, I push people a little like to get closer to the heart of the story, which is your own heart. And I think, you know, unlocking, like having, this is a key, right? To unlock uh, that little, you know, box your heart lives in and just have, have a moment with yourself. Have a moment with your heart. I've known all along that there's great power in story. I mean, it's nothing new. It's been done for since man's been on the planet, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's probably the most, most ancient form of art, if you will, or the arts. And I thought I was a pretty seasoned storyteller. I use, I have the fortune to speak in front of many crowds and deliver a lot of keynotes. And they're usually filled with stories. So I would use seasoned, but I wouldn't use brilliant. And you know what story that comes from. So I was a, so I was a seasoned storyteller I went through the workshop and I always thought that like the bottom or, you know, the critical incident, if you will, was the birth of my child. But you told me that was really just kind of like a catalyst and you'll use different words to my actual reversal. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't discovered that 30 plus years in recovery. And then I went, Oh yeah. So my daughter was born. I was holding her, um, strung out on cocaine, but then this happened and then this happened. Mm -hmm. And that's when my recovery started. And when I realized that, you know, looking in the eyes of uh, Smokey, the cab driver and calling me a bad name, that that, (laughs) (laughs) that that was the time when I finally knew I was going to be okay. Because when I did hold my daughter strung out on cocaine, 
I still had no clue what I was going to do. I just knew I had to do something, but there were some other things that happened along the way for me to finally get the help I needed. So that really transformed my perception of what really went on. And there was some pain that I had to really work through to get to that point. And that was great for me. It made me more healthy, I think. Well, we're still debating that. We'll always debate that. <laughs> Progress, not perfection, Phil. Yeah, I think healing is definitely at the heart of, of it. And I was just um, sort of thinking, you know, I'll teach some science of storytelling in the workshop, but um, my main role is to cultivate the art, cultivate each person's art and help them, um, you know, discover the newness and, and, the, and the different things that you were just sharing about, but then still have that art piece to it. Um, but no matter how, what happens in the workshop, it seems that everybody finds some healing because mm-hmm. you're, you are going back and looking at some hard things, but you're looking at them in a, in a really different, safe, loving way, you know, I think that's one of the things I've stressed to our students who are young adults. They don't know what their career is going to be. They don't know that they're ready to share their story publicly in a way that would tie them to it on the World Wide Web forevermore. But what I share with them is that it is a recovery process, just learning how to tell your story. And you can hold that story you know, as a, as a gift to yourself forevermore, you can share it one-on-one when the time is right. And, you know, someday you may want to share it in a public way. So as folks go through your storytelling workshop, how how do you see that distribution? Um, Folks that actually go on and feel called to use their story for advocacy. I honestly, you do whatever you want with your story do whatever you want. I am a huge, I mean, the reason that I, my journey began with advocacy right out of the gate. The first time I had any kind of time put together, I was active in, in recovery advocacy. Um, and I was deep in it when I discovered storytelling. And so the original mission was, you know, teaching people how to tell their stories so they can go out and woo, you know, support the, the recovery movement. Um, and, but what I learned very quickly is that there's way more to this process and this art form than just advocating. And so um, I now much more value just that people benefit in some way from the process. Um, And so I I don't, what you do with your story is entirely up to you. That's the, you know, you're very empowered to um do whatever you want with your story i always do say like it would be great if you know people you know these stories help people and if you want to go out there i i fully support you um but that's not uh like a sort of a requirement of it so megan and i were first introduced i think you said the recovery coach academy in January, 2015. And I think that was my last Academy before I embarked on the Appalachian trail journey. Um, And I was pretty excited to go and pretty nervous and all that. Uh, And since then we've come back and um, saw you in another training and we started talking more about storytelling. You had discovered more about storytelling 
And so I brought you into a CCAR staff meeting. And I think that was the first time I actually heard you tell like a three to five minute version of your story. And I literally just sat back and went, my jaw was on my, <laughs> on my chest. I was like, oh my gosh. And it had such an impact on me that you could craft a story to be a three minute nugget that would not only aid in your own personal transformation by crafting the story, what we talked about, but that you could have a positive impact on people around you as well. So we brought you in to do the workshop. We did a story slam. Now we're doing these, uh, we've done two rounds of CCAR storytelling and all these videos, I think there's, what, what are we at 25, 30, something, something like? Something like that. Yeah, I think we had, yeah, 25. And, and you can see Megan, you can see me, you can see Sandy all on the ccar.us website in these three minute clips. But I'm interested from your perspective, what was that experience like for you as the facilitator? To do the video project, you mean, or just- Any, any or all of it, yeah, all of that. Um, I think, you know, for me, hmm. I, I, I think the CCAR philosophy and sort of foundation, which is, is you know, really rooted in, in the principles of, of recovery coaching, um, was such a great space for me to really dig in and do more and, and to, you know, to work with so many amazing people in the CCAR orbit to do, um, to do it on that scale was incredible. And I think, you know, one of the things that I love, love, love about CCAR is how many allies and loved ones there are. And so for me, it was so exciting um, in the first, um, in the first round with CCAR to have so many allies. And that was part of, you know, a, gro a growth piece that I wanted this, it like, we're not just in recovery from substance use. There's so many different forms of recovery. Um, and I wanted everyone at the table. And so CCAR really helped me um, continue to grow and build that with um, many different people to come in and, and, and realize that everybody's got the stories. Everyone has so many stories. And I just wanna share that the workshop that I did last weekend was sort of the culmination of it. We had harm reduction people, we had, um, mother, three mothers who lost a child to substance use disorder. Um, we had like one, like really traditional 12 step, you know, straight line guy. Like we had such an incredible, um, div diverse group that all really connected and came together and all had incredible stories. You know, one, one gentleman's story was about you know, he's in the, he's, he does harm reduction. So he's on the front lines of the opioid epidemic. We have the COVID pandemic and his, him saying, I, I already know how to do this when everyone's dying around me because he lived in San Francisco in the eighties during the AIDS epidemic. And it was such an incredibly powerful um, story of learning to live with dying and, 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 um, and that just really being tied still to this recovery journey of, of continuing to grow and, and, and find a way to thrive amid any sort of challenges and circumstances. And, 
So I think, you know, CCAR really sort of let that get launched and send it off in the stratosphere where it could um, expand it and include so much. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about CCAR is it's so inclusive. Like there's really nothing that's like, no, you don't belong here. Like everyone belongs there, you know, it's, um, it's something I'm very deeply passionate about. So I love working with CCAR and I love seeing the recovery storytelling grow. Um, you know, we do have done mental health. Um, we're starting one that's just for parents who've lost a child. Um, it's just, uh, I want the world to get to do it, you know, <laughs> it's like, I wish everybody in the whole wide world could do the 12 steps because they think they're so transformational. And I think I wish everybody could do storytelling. It just allows us to continue to grow and the stories grow with us too. I think that's my favorite part. And I, I love the concept too, that when you, uh, that everyone has a story. And so we're not saying that, um, you have to have lived through substance use disorder, survived an addiction, been an ally or a family member with, with like this really powerful, dramatic type thing. We all have stories and they could be profound. It could be very simple things and you help pull that out. I became like, our test was at the Multiple Pathways of Recovery Conference a couple of years ago where you took the stage and told a story in front of, what was it, two, 300 people mm -hmm. and trying to drum up support for your workshop because we didn't know how it would fly. And mm -hmm. what happened then? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we taught over 100 people in one day <laughs> at the workshop, which is... Um, an absolutely phenomenal and incredible experience. Um, and it's just continued to grow, you know, so many people, um, you know, had a little taste of it at the conference or heard about it at the conference and, um, and just want more. It's, uh, it's been an incredible journey. I do think it's a pathway. I think it's, it's, you know, it might not be uh, a pathway where that would be your only pathway, but I think it's a strong, uh, it can be a really strong part of people's recovery. And I think there's so many layers to what um, good storytelling, you know, deep, deep sort of storytelling that you work within um, can really, really empower people. And so I think people got a taste of that at the, the conference and now it's just gone. I've quit all my other jobs. <laughs> so a year later. <laughs> so Megan, maybe we could pivot back to your story a little bit. So mm. we, I think we left off, you graduated college with a heroin addiction. And um, how, did, how did you find your way to your own recovery? Whew. Yeah. So <laughs> part of what started me in recovery storytelling is that I have, um, I have kind of a gnarly story, you know, I have had uh, some really, really serious um, consequences and circumstances and um, really, really had to fight hard for my life um, over a long period of time. Um, you know, I, went to jail 
five months pregnant on methadone facing a two-year prison sentence um you know i've um lost everything you know did drug court and then lost everything and this horrendous um explosion of my life when my daughter was four and I picked back up again and um, my husband got deported and banned from the U.S. He was from England and I lost custody of my daughter. She was four and I hit the street. I lost everything and I spent years on the street and um, you know I sold drugs to support myself and so yet again I got um, involved. I had two drug trafficking felonies um, one I got one and I got bailed and then I committed another one <laughs> while on bail I really couldn't stop I really could not stop and um yeah to you know went through multiple rounds I went to treatment they let me go to treatment I messed up a treatment back to jail and then I got this last not last but I got this huge huge gift um that really helped me fuel my faith and my belief that there's something bigger than me that has that's very powerful and wants good things for me which is that against all odds and all logic and reason and paperwork the judge after getting kicked out of treatment let me go to treatment one more time instead of five years in prison and so I did and, it was- and and that's on the CCAR website as uh, you tell that as a story it's remarkable yes. it is amazing that that I was given such an incredible gift and that's what I'm talking about when I go back with the storytelling I didn't see that as a gift I was just like you know everything was bad I'm just trying to survive I'm gonna die you know Um, but when I go back and look at that through the lens of storytelling I'm like oh my god (laughs) that was miraculous that was straight up a, a straight up grace from my higher power um, and it was what changed, changed things for me. I, I, that was not my, um, recovery date. You know, I did a long pro- uh, program. I had probation for a year after that program ended. Um, and I still, you know, struggled and, and, um, I was lying to everybody that I was in recovery and, uh, I moved back to Massachusetts to get custody of my daughter, but I would go back to Maine where I had last lived and, and used like every sort of holiday weekend or whatever. And um, in September, I was given custody of my daughter who was 10 at the time. And I used uh, Labor Day weekend, Columbus Day weekend, Thanksgiving. And then on Christmas, I dropped her off at her former foster family's house to do Christmas. And I went and got high for three days And when I went to pick her up after Christmas, I hadn't slept. I was just burnt to a crisp, just not well at all. I had spent a bunch of money. I hadn't shown up at the Christmas place I was supposed to be. You know, I'd been spent three days hiding in 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 my apartment, my old apartment. Um, And she opened the door and she jumped in the car with her little 10 year old, you know, her messy hair and her big oversized snow parka, you know, and she was just like, hi, mom, how was your Christmas? And I just looked at her and realized that I just got her back. I just got this beautiful, amazing child back that I don't deserve. 
was how I felt. And I can't do this to her. And I have not used since. And that was December 28th, 2011. Um, I was probably 10 years old mentally and emotionally when I got my 10 year old mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were super poor and super, uh, I didn't know how to be a parent and I didn't know how to be a person. Um, but we grew together. That's and- one of the things I love making you often talk about how you and your daughter are growing up together. And, you know, even though I was sober when we had our children, I still feel and our, you know, my my oldest child that I delivered is 26. I still feel like I'm waiting to grow up. <laughs> I'm still learning so much from my yeah. children. And I, I hope that never stops. Same. Oh, my gosh. My daughter has taught me so much. I mean, I've taught her a lot. I love she spouts recovery principles all over the place. She's like, Mom, just keep it in the day. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she applies a recovery principles to her life but um you know she's taught me about except she has a chronic illness she's been very sick she had nothing like a normal uh teenagehood and um so much struggle and and challenge with that and she's just taught me acceptance and tolerance and patience and trusting that it'll be okay and um she's taught me some deep lessons and that's one of the most incredible things is sort of I have a buddy on this journey of sort of you know reflecting off of each other as we as we grow in recovery and she's not in recovery but she has so much of the gifts of recovery you know and um we've done that together I ask uh, a lot of our guests the same question what does your tapestry of recovery look like today how do you maintain and sustain your recovery that is an excellent question. Thank you. So my foundation was, was 12 step in church. That's how I really built the first five years of my recovery. Um, and then I found myself looking, looking to explore. There were aspects of those that sort of were breaking down in terms of the, the, the hyper local uh, institutions of, that I was involved in. And, and so I separated and kind of was a little bit lost for a while. Um, you know, fine, but not in a growth space. And so I have since, um, I love the Red Road uh, to Wellbriety, the Native American pathway. Um, that book I read uh, about six months ago. And oh my gosh, it's so, it makes so much sense to me. Um, I dabble in 12 step a little bit still. I went to an in-person meeting for the first time since COVID began the other day, the other night. It's good to be home. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my own sort of personal daily spiritual practice. Uh, and then I have a sponsee and, um, and a couple of close friends who are in recovery. One of them is doing a course in miracles. So now she's got me all interested in that. She's mailing me the book. Um, so I really don't have a pathway. I have many pathways that sort of you know, flow in and out. Um, and I draw from all of them. And of course, I mean, creativity, um, the storytelling, being in this, that space with people is a huge part of my recovery today of just, um, you know, I'm endlessly curious 
And so anything that piques my curiosity as, as a, a belief system for people um, or a journey or of discovery for people uh, feeds me. So um, I think my, my tapestry doesn't look like a lot of people's because it's not like deeply rooted in one or two things. It's, it's really a sense of being okay because of my faith. And that carries me through all of this curious discovery. Um, so, yeah. I really connect with that because I kept an open mind. So, you know, Phil had already been in recovery and was trying different things. And back to the beginning of the session, you know, you need to try this, but I would try to keep an open mind and find those pieces that felt right and true. And, and for mm -hmm. me, it was puzzle pieces more than a tapestry and they clicked together and that made sense. And um, so I really connect with what you just shared there. Yeah, because I think all of it is adding to, I haven't lost anything from 12 step or from, you know, attending formal church or any, like they're all adding to, and so it just continues to grow and expand and, and there's no loss of something. Um, which I think is not, not always how people speak of it. I think I would just kind of got lost in my own tapestry of recovery, trying to figure out what it is I do to maintain and sustain it. You know, I'm approaching uh, this month will be 33 years mm -hmm. of continuous recovery. And a lot of times, just a, a note about that, we talk about recovery measured as continuous, but sometimes there is cumulative recovery. So all those times before a relapse, like if you had 20 years of recovery, you relapsed, you start over half a year, do you have one year of recovery or 21 years? Mm -hmm. And most people in the recovery community say, well, you just have a year. Those Somehow those first 20 years didn't count for anything, but I think it's cumulative. Um, but I would say I'm, I see a lot in colors and I do, I think Bill White talked to me first about this tapestry of recovery and there's a lot of blue threads running through, which would be the water. And if I'm near the water, I feel like uh, I just, I can almost feel myself actually just relax, you know, just everything just kind of, and I take a breath and I become peaceful. And then I'd also say there's a lot of green in my tapestry because there's something about me being in a pine forest oh, yes. with the needles below me and then walking through that. And I've really lately noticed the wind or the breeze through the pine trees mm. and how that speaks to me at a really like soul deep level. And then when you talk about Maine, because then you have the ocean, all the blue with the pine trees and the rock right on the coast. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, my soul can barely take it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a lot of, that's where I find God for me. And that's where I find that serenity and that peace. And that's really the essence of my recovery mm -hmm. now. Mm. I'm glad because I, I neglected to say nature. I think that, you know, for me, it's the same. It's my, you know, my hikes with my dog are just incredible. And, um, and it makes me think when I was listening to you, it, 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 you know, it, it's come up recently for me, which is the cool way, like 
my higher power orchestrates things or like the world is all connected to something will come up and it'll come up and it'll come up, you know, like three times in totally different ways. And then it's like, Oh, I'm paying attention to this now, but a sense of awe mm. or, or wonder, I think is such a big part of my recovery and how I maintain my spiritual outlook on life is, is, is walking. I, I live on, an athletic field. So I walk my dog there every morning. You know, we just go out our backyard and we're on the football field and all that. And just on that perfectly manicured, extremely humanized um, patch of land. <laughs> like we went out the other day and there it had been frost and this, but the sun was out and it was just starting to melt the frost. And there were just these couple of dandelions who'd made it through and the sun was shining and they had these teeny tiny droplets of water on every single little seed tuft. And it was incredibly beautiful. It was incredibly beautiful. Of course, I'm trying to capture it on my phone. Like I'm going to show everybody else how beautiful it is. And that never works because <laughs> it wasn't meant for them. Mm-hmm. It was meant for me to see. And so when I can just find this little, there's just little details in nature that wh- whose beauty is stunning or the, the confluence of, of the different elements and things that, that had to come together into that exact moment to show me that beautiful thing um, is just, it, it, it just fosters this feeling of goodness and, and, and um, that the world is a good place and there's beauty in it. And that the things that are most right are the things that are natural and, and true and, um, that I hope I never lose that sense of wonder at the world or I'll look at a person and just think, gosh, that person is amazing. Mm -hmm. The person is so beautiful and amazing, like inside, you know, they're glowing. It's that, that just makes me want to keep going and keep growing and keep being inspired. And um, I think it's such an essential part of recovery. So it, you're reminding me, Megan, I was looking through a page of notes and I call it, it's an electronic document, but I call it big thoughts. And there was a quote, <laughs> there was a quote from you on there and I'm probably going to get it wrong today. This was just two days ago, but I think you said to me, you can't have the grace without the grit. Mm-hmm. If that's wrong, please yes. feel free to correct me, but talk to me oh, a little yes. bit about that. Yes. Gosh, I love grit. <laughs> my, my, my storytelling mentor and, and co-teacher Andrea is always like, ah, oh, Megan always wants the grit. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I would never appreciate that little dandelion seed, you know, with the droplets of water, had I not almost lost my life over and over and over. Like, I think, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to say that other people can't find that level of beauty, but for myself, I needed to go through what I went through in order to appreciate what I appreciate now. And I think that I thrive in a way that I see, you know, my family members and others who grew up like me, but have not been brought to their knees by substance use disorder um, or mental health. Um, They don't appreciate things in the same way. And so I think the grace just shines through so strongly when that that grit is so deep and um and I think that's part of what makes people in recovery so amazing because we didn't we didn't come to recovery because everything was all graceful 
graceful was not a word that was not part of my story. <laughs> uh, grit was all grit. Um, and so I think, you know, with a group of uh, with people who have been through so much and struggled with so much darkness inside of them, that when the light of, of grace shines on them, it's so much brighter. Um, and, and we really, I think so many of us really deeply appreciate and, and have gratitude for um, the grace we've been shown. It's an incredible miracle that I'm here. Incredible. Yeah, I've heard your story. I agree. <laughs> um, but it's, I've never made the connection between that word grit because I've used it a lot in this context that never forget that grit is central to integrity. So grit is in the center of integrity. And that's kind of like an Art Woodard hanging yes. out with him, showing me <laughs> the words inside words. And then the other piece that I connected with is this idea of awe and wonder. Mm -hmm. And my sponsor talked to me years ago that that was, and he's been in recovery since 1975. So, mm -hmm. you know, he just hit 45 years and he talks about daily trying to find awe and wonder in something. And just the other day I was on the beach and in Rhode Island and the storms had blown away all the sand and uncovered all these rocks. And I picked up this stone because my, my, I have two quests. One is to find the perfect circular stone that's kind of flat. <laughs> and I've come close, but I haven't found it yet. And the other one is to find one that's perfectly round, like a softball or a baseball or whatever. And I found one that was more oval, it was more egg-shaped. But then I was holding this stone and trying to say, how did it get this way? You know, and I thought about where did it break off from? What was it like when it first formed? And then the process of rolling around in other stones to mm -hmm. smooth it off, which is kind of a gritty process in and of itself. But to just, and I was like almost mesmerized by a stone I found <laughs> on the beach. So what's wrong with me, honey? Well, what was really <laughs> wrong with him is there's thousands of these stones on the beach. This is just like in, uh, you know, 40 degree weather two weekends ago. <laughs> and uh, he manages to have to wade into the water in his pants and yellow Crocs because he needed to see the colors wet under the mm. curling surf in order to find the exact right rock. So well, I, was I appreciate fun. that. I appreciate that. That's the child like too. That's the child in this, right? And when you get, when you can bring your child along with you, oh, things are mm -hmm. so much fun. You know, I love that um, child version of me who wants to roll, like my dog loves to roll in the grass. And I just really want to get down there and roll with her in the grass with her too. Yeah, that's know? why we're so together though. I'm the risk manager. You so know? why don't you roll in the grass? I don't think you could get up if you did, right? <laughs> yeah. hey. no, uh... Well, I have a question for you, Phil, that made me curious in listening to you. What makes you want to have some kind of a competition built into your awe-seeking? Or, or what is it? Why is it that you want to, that you seek a perfect rock? That's good, Megan. I like that. Well, that's a real pain in the ass question, if you ask me. 
Um, I think I am competitive by nature, but I don't know if I would label it as competitive. It's kind of like, it's like a goal that like, and it almost be like a gift, like mm. finding a four leaf clover or something. Treasure. It's like a treasure hunt. And so it makes me pay really attention to what's there, but I'm not invested whether I ever, ever achieve that goal or not. I just think it's really cool. Wow. Look how close this one is. Or, um, so it's just something I'm just curious about to see if it's even out there and if I'd ever discover it. So, yeah. So it's really interesting. He's looking for these rocks on the beach in front of 10 to $15 million mansions. (laughs) <laughs> and watch Taylor, Rhode Island, uh, you know, on the beach in front of Taylor Swift's um, cottage. Yeah, cottage. <laughs> cottage. And and this has been a good thing for our relationship because Phil will point to that simple rock why, mm. while I am imagining what it's like to live in that <laughs> castle on the beach. And, it's, and the funny thing is it's not even really a thought. I'm more concerned. I was wondering can I set up my little tent and just lay out here and sleep overnight instead of like, <laughs> I don't, I don't have any desire to be in that mansion at all. Mm. And I don't know what that is. I, I have a little bit of a desire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I would be a rock. I'm more of a rock gazer myself. I'm fascinated by, I love to discover things in nature and how, and think about that. And I, when you talked about the rocks tumbling, um, you know, I grew up on the ocean. I've been, um, you know, six beaches in the town I grew up in is a deep part of my life. And um, there's nothing like that sound of when the waves are strong enough that it's tumbling the rocks. The clacking. It, yeah, oh it's incredible. It's amazing. And I love just being able to sit and, and listen um, to and that then, sound. And then we can talk about the way the water and the waves forms the sand Mm. in like big structures or just little tiny rivulets. And as they come in and out and I'm, let's see, I get, I get a little strange here. (laughs) Well, my, just a little plug for the Russ Wilson um, essay contest. My, Mm -hmm. I'm writing an essay, I'm working on it and it is all about the sand and the waves and how it pulls the sand back and, from our feet and yeah i think everyone should enter the russ wilson essay contest because Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful way to express your recovery Mm -hmm. are you gonna say something i was you know i I was trying to remember early in our our uh marriage phil wrote a whole poem about me i think it was called sandy beach Mm -hmm. with an acronym i might have to go dig that up no please don't (laughs) next podcast podcast. (laughs) well you two balance each other very well i will say phil is the sort of childlike dreamer you know ideas eccentric yes and sandy you are just the like so pragmatic and and practical and you have your you both have the some of the other two um but sandy is a good anchor for you phil i think i'm the normal one right yeah well (laughs) i guess no i'm not i'm not getting between you two you're both both good friends of mine i I got it (laughs) so as we um wrap up is there anything you'd like to add that we didn't discuss anything um that's on your heart 
or your mind that you'd like people to know. And of course, I want you to give a little plug for your Phoenix storytelling. Yeah, so I'd encourage anybody to, to check out Recovery Storytelling if you're interested in sort of some self-exploration mixed with creativity. And you can find out about those workshops on my website, which is meganperry.com. Um, well, you spell Megan in an, in an unusual way. I do. It's M-E-G-H-A-N-N and then Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. And I have a hilarious story about one end versus two ends that I'll save for another day. But uh, I legally now am Megan with two ends. Don't even ask. But it's so it's meganperry.com. Um, I think if there's anything on my heart, it's just how much joy and I get and inspiration and, and full of hope having good conversations um, with other people in recovery about the things that lift us up and, and, um, fuel our recovery and, um, you know, the curiosity and growth and, and all of that. And so I've really, really enjoyed talking with you guys today. And Megan, I have been so blessed, not only by my own experience in the workshop, but I've been countlessly blessed by watching the videos and hearing the stories of so many in recovery that your workshop has brought to light and, um, you know, seen the transformations that happen during it. So keep doing what you do. Thank you, Megan. Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation that matters. I'm looking forward to our next workshop and maybe our next Recovery Coach Academy. Again, the stories are all on our website, ccar.us. Plenty of them to look at and listen to. And again, meganperry.com to see Phoenix Storytelling. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Recovery Matters. We hope that you've connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at CCAR, the number four, recovery. And use the hashtag recoveryfirst to show support for our mission. Fire feeds fire, so if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.